Oh, hello. Welcome back to the Lit Bay Podcast. I'm your host, Kerwin, a.k.a. Book Bay, a.k.a. Kiwi Like the Fruit. This is mostly a book podcast. Um, if you do social media, I'm on Twitter mostly, talking to myself. The Instagram was hacked, so I no longer have that account. Please feel free to share the podcast with any book lovers in your life. Also, I accept donations on Cash App if white people want to send me reparations or if you want to just support me monetarily or send me a little, you know, send me a little gift for all the good work I do. Yeah, go ahead. Go wild. Uh, Disclaimer, I do use strong language sometimes to convey my points. So be mindful of any little ones that you may have around. But speaking of language, the word of the day is uncouth. Uh, Uncouth is spelled U-N-C-O-U-T-H. And uncouth means something that is not polite or socially acceptable. So what is my sentence going to be this time? Hmm. I think that a lot of men find it very uncouth when women live their lives outside of patriarchal expectations. Boom. Uncouth. Very uncouth behavior. Keep up the uncouth behavior if it looks like that, though. All right. Before I get into our book discussion, I did want to shout out to a local Richmond business. It is called Philly Vegan. I love me some Philly Vegan. It's so good. So um, Philly Vegan is a family-owned and operated business based out of Richmond, Virginia, that offers freshly prepared plant-based cuisine. They offer pay-what-you-can events for the community once a week. Um... And yes, I highly recommend the Philly Vegan Sampler if it's your first time there. Um, I recommend the O-Rings anytime you get food from them. Just add the O-Rings too. Um, It's very good. And I just love that, you know, they really do care about like feeding the community. A lot of, you know, businesses claim to like care about like, you know, food disparity and things like that. But like, you know, Philly Vegan is really like walking the walk and talking the talk, talking the talk and walking the walk. There you go. So I I frequent them. Uh, I'm happy to spend my money there. Um, and I, I'm really impressed by the fact that they continue to offer the pay what you can events for the community. I think that that's super helpful for people, you know, who don't have it. And then that's also a great opportunity for if you do have it, you can kind of pay it forward. You know what I mean? Like you can kind of pay more. You know, so I think I think they're doing great work and I really want them to succeed. They're awesome. So if you're ever in the Richmond, Virginia area, I highly recommend Philly Vegan. All right. So let's start this episode. Today we are going to talk about In Every Mirror, She is Black by Lola. Where you at, girl? Oh, Lola. Akinmade Akerstrom. I think that's how you say that. All right. So we start off. Oh, well, let me tell you what it's about before we start off with the characters. So basically, we follow three black women uh, in Sweden. They're all connected to each other by this one crusty white man, unfortunately. Um... And they each just have different things going on. So let's get into that. So we're going to start off talking about Kemi Adeyemi. She is a successful marketing executive 
beautiful black African woman. Um, and the first line of this book was America had decimated Kemi's dating life. That was the first line of the book. And I knew that this book was going to be amazing just based off that line because I too feel like America has decimated my dating life. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I, such a relatable line. It was such a strong line, such a great opener for such a great book. Um, so yes, we kind of get into dating right off the bat. So we're talking about dating as a black woman, but specifically a dark skinned African woman in the US. Um, she talks about her dating experiences with an array of different men. So she talks about, you know, the black men who usually chase white girls, men of color who love quote unquote black booty and socially acceptable or no, 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 not socially acceptable, socially awkward white men who you can't really tell if they want to fuck you or if they want to kill you or both in what order, not really sure. Um, so yeah, there's that. So, you know, she says that, you know, she hasn't really had much luck dating and she keeps coming back to the apps even though they have failed her and rendered her undesirable, which I also felt um, striving to be, you know, she felt like she was always striving to be super soft and ultimately kind of showing up as weak, you know, with these men because, you know, yeah, I don't know. Wait, what was, where was I going with that? Why did I write this? <laughs> what the hell? Uh, okay, let's start over. Let's start over. What do we read? Da, 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 da. Striving to be soft and ultimately showing up as weak. So here's the line that I wrote. Let's break that down. Striving to be soft and ultimately showing up as weak because you can't trust anything that men say. I mean, I, I feel like that's relatable. I'm going to leave that sentence just as it is. Moving on. So this is another direct quote from the book. She was tired of being the archetypical strong black woman impervious to to vulnerability pretending she didn't need a man's touch for years had lost its luster she was lonely and baby that right there describes not only my whole life but especially being a black woman in quarantine trying to date online um trying to make yourself soft trying to make yourself more feminine because you feel like it'll make you know people see you but specifically men right like it's just like you feel like it'll make them see you you know like or whatever but it's just like they have to open up their eyes to see you right they they have to like they have to want to see you they have to like i don't know men are so weird i'm not gonna lie men are hella weird anyway i feel like i was about to start rambling so back to kemi you know she felt like well, she didn't feel like she was. She was dazzling, you know, she dazzled in the boardroom, but could not bring that same confidence to dating, especially when someone was interested in, or someone she was interested in didn't have that same energy for her. Um, and she also mentioned that attracting men was never the problem. It was getting them to see her as a romantic option, which I felt so hard. Um, there is also like a theme of like classism in the US compared to Sweden which I thought was very interesting. So we'll go according to the, to the men that Kemi dated. So in the US, Kemi dated an electrician and society would look at that relationship as Kemi being the more, uh, Kemi being more successful just based off her job and how much money she made. 
and you know like him as an electrician he would be you know like the he would not be like he would not be the successful one in that pairing right and so you know when she moves to sweden she starts seeing someone in well, in sweden <laughs> who is a security guard um and he's you know not self-conscious about his job he's not insecure about his job uh they view their life as half full saying that they can afford what they need in life and you know they get adequate time off you know i have what i need was what he said in the book so looking at job culture between these two countries was very interesting it was it was very interesting because i think like sweden is probably one of those countries that puts a lot of stock in like oh we care about our people we want them to you know have you know enough time for maternity leave paternity leave things like that um you know what i mean while the us is you know the us <laughs> so yeah i just thought that that was like a very interesting thing they kind of talk a little bit more about that in the book but i just want to you know kind of you know pique your interest in that one um and then she talks about men in the workplace where she was constantly reminded that she was a, a specimen to be sampled and tasted. You know, like these men are already married to their first choice and yet they want to try her. You know what I mean? And so like she also talks about like the men in the office like lusting after her, you know, they're, you know, they're treating her very much as like a fetish, looking at her through a hypersexual lens just because she is a black woman and they love like those features, but she was just saying that there is this phenomenon where like men specifically white men though will you know i hate to call it courting a black woman but it's like they'll go for a black woman only for the physicality but not for you know romance they will not come for us for like a romantic thing they want to have us like in the shadows they want us to be the side chick that kind of thing but you know for looks they have to marry like the one the white one right not the right one the white one right you see what I did there? So yeah. So Kemi is sought out after let me see. Kemi is sought out by Sweden's largest marketing firm from a tone um firm after a tone deaf PR campaign. They offer her double her salary. Uh they're gonna ship her stuff for her. They're gonna get her signed up for Swedish classes. Um and I just when I was reading about all those like thoughtful perks that they were giving her I guess I just wish that like jobs generally would give us more thoughtful perks when it came to giving us perks to do a job you know what I mean that we have to do to survive to get money and so we, that we could survive and pay bills and all this stuff and the cycle continues right so yeah um I also really thought that it was really cool that Kemi questioned the company's intentions while she was like interviewing with them. So she was inquiring about the culture of the company, which we should all be doing when we're going to get a new job because I want to remind you all, it's not just about, you know, us impressing the employer. The employer also has to impress us. So never forget that. It's not, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> I know we want the job and stuff, but like they have to be a good fit for us as well. It's not just one way. So Keep that in mind. But yeah, um, she was saying that the employer was using buzzwords like diversity and inclusion. Um, and there just wasn't a lot of weight 
behind those words. And I feel like uh, some companies do that a lot, quite a bit. They'll throw words around like diversity, include, we're so inclusive in the way that we blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? But like they have like that little superficial speech already kind of put together. But like when you ask them in-depth questions about like, okay, well, like, you know, what is company culture like here for people that are not white? You know, for your black employers, <laughs> for your black employees, things like that. You know what I mean? And so she also just talked about past employers who, you know, said that they would like trust her work, quote unquote, only to override her decision in the end. And it was more to show status, you know, like you think you're in charge, but actually you're not. I'm still in charge. I'm just letting you do this, you know, so very, very uncouth behavior. Um but yeah, so Johnny owns this new company, or not new company, but Johnny owns this company that is new to Kimmy, I should say. Yeah, so that's how she is put in touch with Johnny. Next up, we have Brittany Ray, who was born to first-generation immigrants who fled to Jamaica, no, who fled Jamaica to Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and, you know, she watched her parents struggle financially up until their retirements, and she was just really determined to not have that life. Um, she always wanted the finer things in life. So she got whisked away, whisked away by an influential man in the fashion industry um, who she assumed would offer her the finer things in life. Um, and then we fast forward to uh, Brittany Ray, who is now 38 years old. She's a flight attendant. You know, her fashion industry dreams did not take off for her, unfortunately. Um, and she'd often wonder, like... Oh, this was a quote from the book. She'd often wondered how the cloak of impenetrable privilege would feel around her shoulders. So, like, we talk about Brittany being tired of having, like, these service jobs and serving others, like, in the service industry. And so, Brittany meets Johnny on a flight from D.C. to Sweden, or Sweden to D.C., vice versa, something like that. Um, and I wanted to talk about this or at least just share this quote from the book too. Privilege comes in levels. You have the privilege he has given you, but you will never have the privilege he has just because he breathes. And so I thought that was such a strong line because like we see Brittany as this girl or as this woman who, you know, she, she has always had like big dreams you know what I mean? And she is was very talented within fashion and things like that. But she would get kind of like whisked away by the idea of like men taking care of her and like showing her the finer things in life and blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, now she's 38 and she's like, oh, well, you know, I'm a flight attendant. You know, I'm tired of serving people, that kind of thing. But also Brittany has um, a boo. <laughs> she has a boo who she's been with for like four or five years I think, you know, he's getting close to that time where he's getting ready to propose to her and all of that. And that, you know, he offered her kind of like stability uh, from what it seems like maybe like healthy communication, you know, like a healthy relationship. Um, but then she ends up meeting Johnny. And I'll just leave it there. We'll leave it there. Um, so that's how she becomes entangled in the entanglements of Johnny. Um, and then, you know, Brittany and Kemi meet at one point in the book and I was really rooting for them because I thought that maybe they would have so much in common, 
But unfortunately, they have a kind of like challenging, tricky relationship with each other. Unfortunately, Um, they just did not hit it off. So that was unfortunate. The last woman I wanted to talk about was Muna Saheed. I loved Muna. I thought Muna was such a cool character. Um, So Muna Saheed is a refugee awaiting to establish residency in Sweden. Um, She lost her family fleeing a war in her home country. Meanwhile, Muna has also lost her best friend at the asylum center. Um, And while she's there, she just kind of like recalls like her experiences living in the asylum center. And like once she leaves, she talks about how that is as well. So I think this is while she was there. Yes. So while she was at the asylum center, after her friend had their unfortunate accident, um, she has this run-in with the police, which is so wild. But it's, I wish I could say that like, oh, I can't believe this happened to her, but I can believe it because it's like when, when I was reading it, I was like, I can see how this is, I can see this happening in my head. So the police officer, let me see, 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 yes. So the police officer viewed all of the immigrants as the same, Right. But there was an array of individuals within the asylum center. So there were Arabs, Africans, Syrians, Kurds, and more. But this white officer lumped them all together because he saw them, these dark-skinned people, as he saw them all as less than. He saw them as less than people. He saw them as people that were under him, subordinates. You know what I mean? Things like that. So he just like did not see their humanity, which was unfortunate. Um, but that is also like... When we talk about like law enforcement too, I think that that's, that is also a thing that kind of comes up often too, is how often people who quote unquote look alike are grouped together and seen as like, oh, they're the same kind of person. I've seen your kind before, that kind of thing. So huh, I had a lot of feelings reading this book. Anyway. Once Muna leaves the asylum center and goes to Sweden, you know, they, she was talking about how she has to, like, keep a job um, or, like, go to school so that she can be eligible for citizenship. Um, the way that she is connected to Johnny is Johnny is, like, a anonymous donator to the, to the asylum, I believe. I can't remember if he is, a, like, a, an anonymous donator or if he like owns it or created it or something like that i forgot but yeah um so muna ends up getting a custodial job and that is where she meets kemi for the first time um and muna is so like oh what do you call it muna is so like and not infatuated with kemi but like she is what is the word I'm looking for? She's never seen a black woman like Kemi in a position that Kemi is in. And she's very impressed. Boom. That's what I meant to say. So, you know, Muna has never seen a black woman so confident and successful and wants that for herself. Um, but, you know, quickly Muna also realizes that there is a disconnect between Kemi and her white colleagues as well. Um, there is an instance where, you know... Kemi comes in. She's very happy. She's like, good morning. She's trying to speak Swedish to her coworkers and stuff like that. She's trying to like work on her Swedish and 
you know, whatever, whatever. And then she walks out and then her coworkers start talking about her behind her back, her fashion choices, her bad Swedish, her quote unquote American ways, et cetera, et cetera. And Muna is so confused because she's like, yeah, but like, look at this woman. Like, she is everything. So like in that moment when I was reading, I was like, you can be everything as a black woman and people will still find a reason to hate on you, especially white people, girl. I guess, as I guess, especially white Swedes, girl. But they're always going to find a reason to hate on you because you're black and you're fabulous and you're magic and all of that. So, boom. But anyway, um, I wanted to talk about Johnny a little bit. Hate to talk about white men on this on this thing, but here we go. So we go into Johnny. Johnny, uh, when we talk about how he met Brittany, Johnny was immediately smitten with Brittany based off her looks alone. Um, we talk about how Johnny, like he, he's like a, you know, a celebrity kind of in Sweden and most of his arm candy, black women, dark skinned women, black women. That's what it is. And so Johnny has a black girl fetish. You got it. He got a fetish. Um, but Johnny doesn't think he has a problem. He doesn't think he has a fetish. Um, and I remember there being like kind of a heated uh, exchange between Brittany and Johnny. And she was just like, you know, do you have a fetish? And he was like, I'm not crazy. And I was like, that's not what she asked you, though. So I was I was like, mm, very uncouth behavior. But OK, um, let's see. Also, I saw that, you know, Johnny wouldn't really check his family for being like problematic and by problematic in this case I mean he was being like his family was being very like racist towards Britney because Johnny basically blew up Britney's relationship that she had back in DC and then um there was like this really weird moment where Britney was talking to Johnny and she was like yeah like you know I was at home and I had this loving relationship with this man and blah 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 because, you know, while Brittany was in a relationship with the other guy, Johnny was, like, sending her flowers and all of that good stuff. And the, the other guy was like, what is this? And so, you know, Brittany was like, yeah, like, you know, I had a loving relationship. I had a stable relationship, blah, 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 when I was back at home. And he said something to the effect of, like, well, you never told me to stop. And I was like, ooh, inability to read social cues. It's giving very, I'm not self-aware, ew, gross. So yeah, um, that's Johnny. Um, so yeah, he blew up Britney's spot in her relationship, but Britney had a Britney also had a role that she played in that as well, which you'll read about when you read the book. Um, or if you already read it, you know what I'm talking about. But anyway, so yeah, so after all that happens, Britney ends up moving to Sweden with Johnny again, getting like whisked whisked away into luxury because Johnny is rich. Johnny, nah, Johnny is better than rich. He is wealthy, okay? Wealthy. Yeah, so Johnny is wealthy. So like at first she is very much like blinded by the glitz, the glamour, the wealth. Um, and that's what she wanted to surround herself with. That's the life that she always wanted. But quickly she realizes that like that lifestyle comes with a price. And she is a, you know, she's a black woman who does not speak Swedish well, living in Sweden. Um, and everyone close to Johnny has a problem with her because they see her as a gold digger. You know what I mean? So, like, you know, even though, like, all this time Brittany had her own job, she had money. She had, a, you know what I mean? Like, 
is you know what I'm saying? So like, yeah, she yearned for the finer things in life, but like, it wasn't like she was just out here looking for people's money. Like she was actually working and doing whatever. So, uh, you know, it was a wild time. Um, but I also wanted to talk. Oh, we're done talking about Johnny Girl. Done. Um, I wanted to talk about a quote that I also read in this book. It said, diversity and inclusion are also about breaking stereotypes, not only showing black and brown faces in ads. And when I read that, I immediately thought of the summer of 2020 when everybody was riding hard for black lives. Remember that? Remember that? Mm -hmm. So yeah, when everybody was like riding hard for black lives, um, and you know, people, you know, everybody was like praising black content creators and, you know, black people and, you know, donating to the organizations and doing all of that. Um, you know, and we did see more ads with black and brown people in them. But I'm just like, I love that she said that like diversity and inclusion are also about breaking the stereotypes of these people as well. Because I feel like when we when we go into like boardrooms where they're like, oh, we need more inclusion, oh, we need more diversity, oh, we need more this, oh, we need more that, it's rarely about breaking stereotypes. It's it's about making money. It's about appealing now to that black market. How do we get that black dollar now? You know what I mean? Capitalism is a bitch, ain't it? Um, but anyway, what did I want to talk about? Oh yes, I did want to hit this point too. So countries countries like Sweden are looked at as progressive because of their, you know, reliable public transportation. Um, I'm not saying that Sweden does this specifically, but, you know, countries like Sweden that are kind of put on the map for having shorter work days, shorter work weeks, um, you know, initiatives to get less cars on the road, wider lanes for walking, uh, for pedestrians walking or for bikers, things like that. Um, a lot of times, like, we look at those and be like, oh, damn, like, I wish our country would do something like that or blah, 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 blah. But like, you also have to realize, like, who is that for? And who really benefits from those things? You know what I mean? Sometimes it's very much like the white and the privileged or the certain class, right, that can really enjoy that kind of, those kind of perks, you know? So yeah, I just wanted to put that out there. I also wanted to just say that, like, Anti-blackness is alive and well, and we see it really in all three women's journeys, but especially Muna's as a refugee. So they were talking about in an area where she lived, um, she lived in an area where all of, a lot of the refugees, a lot of the other refugees lived. And there was like this drug that was, you know, could be, um, could be talked about as if we were talking about like the crack epidemic right here in the United States in black and brown communities, right? But we were talking about a drug here, a drug in Sweden that's kind of like ravaging the Muna's community as a refugee. And so the way that like media was covering like the drugs in their community in relation to the way that the drugs were, that same drug was being marketed, or not marketed, but that same drug and how it was ravaging, you know, oh my gosh, what am I trying to say? That same drug that the white people were taking that same drug 
how they were talking about it with the two different people. So, of course, they didn't, you know, as refugees, they did not have that same level of thoughtfulness in the media. But white people, when it came to white people having their drugs and, you know, being ravaged by this drug, they were like, oh, we need re rehabilitation. Oh, we got to help them. Oh, but, you know, but that they didn't have that same energy for, like, the people who are trying to get citizenship in this country. You know what I mean? It was like they were kind of like an afterthought. I hope that made sense. <laughs> But yeah, like they were kind of like an afterthought and that sucks. So yeah, that was really sad to read about. Um, let me see. Yeah, rehabilitation will always be available to those who have the access to it. Unfortunately, not always the people who need it more and who don't have like the funds or the resources to get it. That's unfortunate. Um, what I do want to say is that I absolutely love this book. Um, I loved reading about three black women living abroad. I would love to read more fiction about black women and black queer people living abroad and not just living abroad, but like thriving abroad. Um, Lola Akinmade Ackerstrom is a Nigerian photographer and travel writer based in Stockholm, Sweden. She is the editor in chief for Slow Travel Stockholm. Uh, she is a published author, but this is her first fiction work and I think she did a phenomenal job. So shout out to you, Miss Lola. Um, she also had an episode on the podcast Flourish and the Foreign, where she talks about her book, um, In Every Mirror, She is Black. And I believe that is the name of the episode as well. Um, and I talk about Flourish and the for Foreign all the time on this podcast, I feel like. So yeah, that's all I got for y'all today. Um, that is... In every mirror, she is black. I hope you all decide to pick this up. I hope that if you see it at the library, you decide to check it out. Um, it was very good. It gave me a lot to think about. And uh, I don't know. I just put a lot of more things on my radar, too. And I can't wait to read about more and research more things about, like, Sweden and how black people are living and treated in Sweden as well. Um, in a nonfiction sense, obviously. So yeah. All right. Well, that's all I got for y'all today. Um, thanks for listening. Uh, white people hit my cash app with my reparations. Thank you. Just kidding. But not really. I'm not, I'm not kidding at all, actually. Um, anyway, have a great week. Take care of yourself. You deserve to live your best life no matter what is going on. I know things are super crazy in the world. You deserve to live your best life. Take care of yourself. If you know me and you need help, hit my line. If you don't know me that well and you still need help, just know that I love you and I'm putting out that good juju for you. Okay. Okay. I'll talk to you later. Okay, bye.